mention again uh, my gratitude to Don Horner for an excellent invitation to the Lord's table. Some thoughts that really had not occurred to me in that, those forms and just really set that table well for us to come and to experience a holy moment. You know, in Churches of Christ, we have some real strengths, and uh, we could talk about those. That I feel like sometimes we, we struggle with some things, and one of the things I think we struggle with is those holy times in our life, that sometimes we miss them, we pass over them too quickly without fully appreciating what is happening. One of the things we do well in Churches of Christ is that we follow the example of the early church and participate in the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis as a congregation. Um, we believe that's right and that's good. People, Some people are critical of that. They say that if you do it every week, it'll lose its meaning and it'll, you'll just sort of do it by rote and it won't be that holy time. We're here to prove them wrong, that that's not right, that every time we come together uh, that we are capable of receiving that Holy Supper at a time in our lives that makes that time a blessed time. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at some pictures of heaven, both heaven as it is right now and heaven as it's going to be uh, whenever heaven and earth are joined together in the new heaven and the new earth. And we've been looking at John's revelation and the pictures that we have there of this heaven. And today we have one more that we're looking at in chapter 21. And in this particular presentation, uh, John is invited by one of the angels to come and to go up on a mountain and to look at heaven from on high. Kind of interesting to look down on heaven. But he begins by saying, And the angel carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, what follows then is some of the description of this holy city. And once again, we have things that we've been talking about. There's precious metals and stones and jewels uh, that are described, uh, jasper, emeralds, all these things, just the, the most beautiful things that John can possibly think of to give us a picture of what that heaven or that city looks like. Uh, one of the things that really catches my eye in this description is that he talks about it's made out of gold that is transparent as glass. Never seen transparent gold before, but John's just stretching as much as he can. So just think of something so gorgeous. He also mentions that there's 12 gates into the city. And each gate is made out of one pearl, and each gate has a name on it, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. He also mentions that there's 12 foundations to the city, and each foundation has a name on it, the 12 apostles. And then he says that this angel that had invited him up on the mountain takes a measuring stick and goes around and starts measuring the city. And he gives us the dimensions of the city. Do you remember how big it was? First of all, it's a city four square, meaning it's the length and the width and the height are the same. The distance is 1,500 miles. Now, roughly that's uh, equivalent to two states of Texas put together. And we know how big Texas is, don't we? So heaven's going to be a big place. Uh, A lot of folks God is expecting up there. Well, I want to pick up the description in verse 22 of chapter 21, as John continues to describe not only the physical nature of the city, 
but some things that are ultimately important to us as well. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Revelation chapter 21, beginning of verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the lamp, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. May God bless the reading of His Word. Last week, uh, we noticed that the new heaven and new Jerusalem is described not as a garden, as paradise was at the beginning of Scripture, not as a mountain vista with snow-capped peaks and all the glory like sometimes we like to close our eyes and envision, but in Scripture, the new heaven, our eternal home, the destiny toward which those of us who have washed ourselves in the blood of the Lamb. It's described as a city. Now, I don't know how you receive that kind of revelation. You know, those of us who live out here in sparsely populated West Texas, we don't cotton much to cities, you know. Uh, think about all the problems that are in cities. We brag about how our rush hour lasts about five minutes here in San Angelo. You go to the big city and you're just tied up in traffic all the time. You go to the big city and you begin to notice all the problems that are there in big cities. You notice the poverty. You notice the slums. You, you notice the violence the crime and just all of that stuff that's going on and we smile and say, ah, you know, those of us who live in small towns don't have to put up with all that kind of stuff. But heaven is a city. You know, as of 2008, for the first time in known human history, the majority of the population of the world lives in cities. And it's interesting to me, I was looking at a list of the major cities in the world, and I would guess that most of us have not been 
in some of the larger cities of this world. You know, when we think of large, large city, we think of New York. New York is number 16 on the list. Now, Bob, you've probably been in some of these cities. I don't know how many of the rest of you have been to Shanghai. Shanghai is the largest city in the world, now pushing 14 million people. Second largest city is Mumbai. Used to be known as Calcutta. Any of you see Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah, a very touching, moving, entertaining movie. And yet there at the beginning, you got a glimpse of Mumbai and the terrible, abject poverty and the filth that people in that city, many of them, most of them, live in. Number three is Karachi, Pakistan. Hear about that on the news a lot, but you don't go there very often, do you? Number four, maybe so, Istanbul, Turkey. Some of you have probably been to Istanbul. have to get down to number five, and I know that several of our congregation have been to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And that's number five. But it's just amazing to me to look at some of the names of these cities that are some of the largest cities in the world, and I've really kind of heard of them, but couldn't really tell you where they are. For example, three major cities in which over 27 million people live are, I'm going to try to say these right, Guangzhou, China, Tianjin, China, and Shenzhen, China. Those on your travel plans for this coming summer? 27, 28 million folks. I kind of thought of a time when I was traveling across Bulgaria. Not too many people know Bulgaria very well. Can you name one city in Bulgaria? There's a city of two million people there, two million souls. Yeah, Sofia is in there. And so, but what about the rest? Well, traveling across, and I remember looking out the train window. I never slept on a train before, and I was having trouble sleeping anyway, and just seeing city after city after city, and thinking, there's all these people living out their lives. And not only do I not know them, I didn't even know those towns existed. It's kind of a humbling thought. Cities may not be our favorite places, yet God in his wisdom chose to reveal to us the glory of eternity as a city. And we want to join with John as he's caught up on this mountaintop today and to look down at this holy city in which we will be called to spend eternity, and to notice what it is that John noticed and that he wrote down for us. We talked a little bit about some of the dimensions and the physical characteristics, but that's not really the part that John seemed to get most excited about. Did you notice that he said, first of all, there is no temple in the city? Now, for John, that was unusual. When he went to a big city in his day, in the center of the city, there was always a temple. No matter what that city was, there was a temple to whatever God those people believed in. And in fact, in many of the Roman cities, there were many temples because they believed in many gods. So if you went to the city and you wanted to go visit the God of that city, you went to the temple to visit that God. John tells us in heaven... There will be no temple because God will not be located in one place, but his presence will fill the whole city. That wherever you go, God will be there with you. Now, I know that we talk about that even now, but he goes on to say, 
it'll be so real to us that we will get to see his face. Wow. Did you know that was a privilege that was not even afforded to someone as grand as Moses? Moses once asked to see the face of God, and God said, you can't see my face and live. But in heaven, his face will be visible to all. It will fill the whole area. He and the Lamb fill the city. And it says, his name will be written up on our foreheads. Now, I hope that's not literal. Uh, I'm not a real fan of tattoos. And that kind of reminds me of a tattoo, of having God's name written across our forehead. But I think it's really indicating that we will be owned by him. That he will be our God and we will be his people. And gone are any of these doubts that we might ever have that God really loves us and that he has embraced us and that he cares for us. Because even today in all of our faith and all of our assurance that, that, that God has embraced us and Jesus' teaching that he holds us in the palm of his hand and there's no power in all the universe that can snatch us out, we still wonder, does he really? Am I really going to be good enough? Am I really going to stay faithful enough? Is God really going to embrace me, and am I really going to live with him forever in heaven? Well, once all of this happens, his name will be upon you. You'll be seeing his face, and his presence will fill our lives as well as all of heaven. He mentions that it's a a place of light as well. Excuse me, that sneaked up on me. He mentions that it's a place of light as well. Several times he mentions that there's no sun, there's no moon, and, and that there is no night there. Did you catch that as we went along? And then we sang it several times as well, didn't we? In the Bible, light is equivalent to truth and knowledge. He says once we get there, we will have complete knowledge and that we can live with the complete assurance that we really know what's going on. Darkness is evil. Darkness is, is, is falsehood and deceit. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things in my life I don't know. There's a lot of questions I have. There's a lot of things I wonder about. There's a lot of things that I'm confused about. And what John is saying that in this heavenly city, the light will fill every corner. There will be no dark corners. There will be nothing to be afraid of. There will be nothing that we have to wonder about. There will be no questions unanswered. Because God is its light and the lamp of the Lamb. Did you catch that little phrase? I love that little phrase. The lamp of the Lamb fills the whole place with light. He talks about it being a place of inclusion, that the gates are never closed. It's a place of complete acceptance, that all the nations are gathered into this place, and that everybody feels at home. In fact, home is one of the words that we talked about last week, didn't we, that's applied to heaven. And whatever feelings you have about home, you haven't been home yet. There are places in this world where you feel at home, but you're going to feel more at home in this city than you've ever felt at home any place in your life. You will be included. You will be accepted. No longer will we be divided up into groups by race or by uh, different ways of acting. Nothing's going to be forcing us apart. 
And no one's going to be driven to the despair of loneliness. For whenever you are there, you will know that you belong there. And that you are embraced not only by God, but by everyone who lives within this city. It's a place of life. Did you notice that the tree of life makes an appearance again? It's interesting how much of the, the last chapters of the Bible have things from the first chapters of the Bible. We talked about that with the idea of paradise. And now the tree of life, which was taken out of the Garden of Eden because of sin, is now restored in the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. And so therefore, this is a place to live. There are no more deaths. Not only physical death, but spiritual death is gone and emotional death. Those little deaths that we just seem to die almost on a daily basis. Those times when our heart just sinks. The disappointments that we have. The frustrations that we feel. And that wondering why we can't just live. Well, there we will. Because the tree of life will be there. And it's not about just a length of time. It's about a quality of life. And the fact that death of every kind that we experience has been set aside. And then one more thing about the tree of life I wanted us to notice is that it has leaves on it. And its leaves are for, did you catch it? The healing of the nations. Now, if nothing else about heaven makes us want to see it, that has to. Because we live in a time in which our earth seems to really be just reaching a fever pitch of turmoil. And that there are nations against nations and terrorists against nations. And we wonder, what next? When is the other shoe going to drop? When is the next terrorist attack? When is all this? And where is it all going to go? Is it, are we going to reach a point where we don't feel safe, not only in New York City, but maybe not even safe in San Angelo, Texas, because of what's going on in the world? Do those thoughts ever cross your mind as well? The tree of life has leaves that are for the healing of the nation. And all those rifts between humanity will be healed and we will be brought together. And healing within ourselves as well. All the hurts and the bumps and the bruises that we have in life will be taken away through the leaves of the tree of life. Now, I'm hurrying along because there's so much more in there, but we've got to make where I really want to go with this. Because we know that heaven's going to be a glorious place. And, and, and we all want to go there. I don't think I've told, every time I preach on heaven, I tell the same story, and I haven't told it yet, about the, the preacher that, that caught the little boys out on the sidewalk. Uh, into, they were in some mischief and misbehaving themselves and doing some things, and he thought that he needed to call them down and get them straightened up. So he walked over to him and said, boys, he says, don't you want to go to heaven? And they stopped, you know, and said, uh, 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 and finally one of them spoke up and said, no. And the preacher, you know, thought, that's not the answer I was expecting. He said, said, what? You don't want to go to heaven when you die? And he said, oh, when we die, I thought you were getting a trip up right now. (laughs) Well, if we understand where it is we're headed, we may even want to go right now. It's not something to dread. It's not something that we, we hope is, is necessarily has to be far into the future, but it is a place we truly want to go. However, as glorious a place as it is, 
There is more in this description than we get if we just simply read it the way we've read it so far today. There's little encoded language in here. Don't you just love codes that when you break them up and you go, oh, you know, there's even deeper meaning there. Well, there is here. Because the language that's given to John or the language that John chooses to use to describe heaven kind of has double meanings to it, much of it. This isn't unusual for the Bible. In this description of heaven, John uses words like New Jerusalem. Earlier in the text, the part that we looked at last week, he talked about the city coming down as a bride adorned for the bridegroom. What's that language? What else does that language refer to in Scripture? Who is the bride of Christ? You're right, the church. Isn't it amazing that as John is talking about heaven, he's also talking about the church. Now, cities have kind of taken it on the chin lately. We sort of look at cities and go, oh, I don't know if I want to live in a big city. Churches have really taken it on the chin lately. Uh, there's a lot of scandals. I understand that. I understand why people are sort of put off with it. But there's just sort of a general malaise at time about church. Church is not necessarily the answer for your spiritual longings. That, that if you really want to be a spiritual person, you find that kind of outside the church. Or maybe you, you find it in sort of a, a subgroup of the church that you carve out. And you go out by yourselves. And that way you find something spiritual. But according to the Bible, and according to the way John describes heaven and the new heaven and the new Jerusalem, not only is he describing our eternal home, he is calling us as a church to be heaven on earth right now. As much as possible, realizing that, yeah, once we get there, everything will be perfect, But this is a call to us to realize that we are now the kingdom of heaven on earth. And as we read about what heaven is like, that is what we come to recognize and to aspire for the church to be. For example, go back. The presence of God. Now I know there we will see the face of God, that God will be everywhere. But you know, when we come together as a church, God is here. Have you seen him yet? Have you opened your eyes to him? Did you open your heart to him? Now, I know that we're promised that God goes with us every step of our lives and every breath we take and wherever we are, that God in some way is there with us. But he also tells us that when you come together as a family, as the church, that the glory of God fills the room. There's nothing special about this building, but there is something special about you. And when you come together and bring with you the spirit that God has given you and it joins with the spirit of God and all the other hearts that are here and we lift up the name of God, God is here. That's why church can be a little heaven on earth. It talks about that heaven is full of light. Light is truth. Light is is sincerity. Light is knowledge. And when we come together as the church, we aspire to be the people of truth. Not only do we try to preach the Bible as the truth that it is, but we're truthful with one another. 
And it's okay to be truthful with one another. It's okay to be yourself here. You don't have to try to be someone else here. You know, that's one of the reasons I think that churches get such a bad rep as we walk in the door as somebody different than who we really are. Don't do that. Come as who you are. You know, this is, this is what you need. You need to be blessed by the presence of God, and you need the blessing of other real people that are here with you seeking His mercy and His kindness and His forgiveness. So yeah, come as you are and receive the blessing of the presence of God and be, be found in the light of God as God sheds His light on you and yeah, shows you the truth, not only the truth of our sinfulness, but the truth of His mercy and His grace. It's a safe place to be. We come here to feel safe and secure. It's a place that's inclusive. Everyone is welcome. In the church. Now, you're called upon to put aside the shameful things that you have done and shameful thoughts and desires that you have. Yeah, you're called to put those aside, but you are still welcome here. And everyone is included here. That there is no, no way to judge and say, not you, not you, not you. But rather, here we are all together and we're gathered together as a people who love God. There ought to be lots of doors in a church. If I ever got to really design a church, I've been involved in some church design before, but I didn't really get to build it the way I wanted it. There would be doors all the way around the thing, <laughs> you know, just symbolically the door, because there needs to be a lot of doors into a church. Now, we've got a lot of doors out here. It's not too hard to find your way into this building, but sometimes it's hard to find your way into this church. You know, you can come and worship, but, but we want to have doors where people can come in and be a part of the church and know that after they've been here for a few hours, a few weeks, how long does it take before we open our doors and say, come on in, you're one of us. We aspire to be that, to be that kind of church where we recognize faces and we embrace each other and say, you're part of us, you're one of us. Because we have lots of doors in. It's a place of life. It's a place where you can come and you can live. Because we encourage one another. And we realize that even though we may come with some death in our hearts and we come having experienced the bumps and the bruises of life, that here is the tree of life. Because our God lives here with us and in our hearts. And that there is healing here. Not only the healing physically, which I believe very strongly in the prayers of the church, blessing people with physical healing. You know, every Sunday night we gather together back here at the back, a group of us do, and we spend about 20 minutes praying for healing in people's lives. I believe in that. The elders get together every week and pray for healing in people's lives. The staff gets together and pray. And I know many of you pray for that as well. But not only physical healing, but the emotional and the spiritual healing can happen here in church. So when John describes heaven, we need to read it not just thinking, oh, someday it's going to be great. We as the church of Christ, we as the church of God, need to read it knowing we can be that now. Not as perfectly as it's going to be someday, but we don't have to wait till we die. We don't have to wait till the return of Jesus to begin experiencing a taste of heaven because we know what it's going to be. And we already have access to so much of that power. And that's why we love God's church.
because it's getting us ready and wetting our appetites and showing us what heaven will be. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And I don't know if you've come here with a need for healing in your life, a need for forgiveness, a need just for some of the balm of God to be spread upon the wounds of life. But some of our elders will be standing on the sides. There'll be some at the back. And I'm up here at the front, if you're brave enough to walk this direction. You know, we would love to have an open door for you, and open arms for you to come and to let this church minister to you. Some of the elders will be available after worship, back in our parlor. Go and find them. But don't limp out of this room. Walk out of this room alive. Walk out of this room chewing upon the leaves of healing. Let's stand and sing.